Well, good morning. If you're a guest with us, we're glad to have you. My name's Shannon. I'm one of the pastors here at Sabine Creek. And for those of you who didn't notice, um, I texted Ryan late last night, and I said, Gray Henleys? And he texted back and said, sure. And I said, I'll take long sleeve. You take short sleeve. And he said, I got it covered. And so for those of you who are wondering, sometimes when we show up wearing the same clothes, we're like texting the night before to coordinate outfits for anyone who might be a little suspicious of that. Um, but before we jump into the message today, I, I just wanted to say a word of appreciation to the nearly 30 volunteers that showed up yesterday at Royce City Fun Fest. Uh, we had uh, just about 30 folks who came out and served and connected with people in our community yesterday. Uh, we set up a big t- a booth, a couple of booths down there in downtown Royce City and had hundreds of people come by that we were able to connect with and introduce our church to. Uh, we gave out nearly 400 coffee mugs yesterday with our logo printed on them and also a voucher to get some free coffee there at the well in downtown Royce City. Took some photos in a little photo booth um, that we're going to post on the website later on this week and folks will be able to access it there. Uh, but we could not have done what we did yesterday without the 30 folks in our congregation who stepped up to the plate and served alongside of us. And I just wanted to say as your pastor, uh, I appreciate that and wanted to affirm you for it. Um, it was a great day yesterday, and by God's grace, we're praying that as we continue to have opportunities to connect with more and more people in our community and raise awareness and establish a presence, that God might be gracious and we might see growth, and he might bring people here who need to hear the gospel or people here who are in our community and they're believers but not yet connected to a church. And so that's our heart and our hope, and I hope you would join me in praying that some of the touches that were made yesterday uh, with nearly 400 individuals in the life of our community uh, Uh, that God would draw some of those folks here and they would get saved and they would get plugged in and they would become vital members uh, of Sabine Creek Fellowship and we would see God do a great work here in the Royce City and Rockwall area. So would you join me in praying for that? Yeah, some of a couple of you will, so that's, I appreciate that. Um, but anyway, this morning we're kind of wrapping up a series of messages called Gospel Community. Uh, we've been working through uh, several choices that we make as believers in order to press into and experience the fullness of community. We have our lives uh, get woven together with other people's lives in such a way that we create a, a fabric that is more resilient and stronger and more beautiful than any of our lives could be in isolation from the other. And so this morning is no different. The text that we're going to be digging into this morning is in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. We're going to read down through verse 24, then also verses 29 and 30. So if you have a copy of the text of Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a copy of that, it'll be on the screen for you as we read it together. Ephesians chapter 4 will begin in verse 17, where the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, writes these words. Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then down in verse 29, he continues, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, it becomes pretty clear in Ephesians chapter 4 that Paul's making a shift. He's been talking a lot about theological truths, about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. In Ephesians chapter 4, he shifts and he begins to talk about the implications that should be present in our lives. Those of us who believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus and follow Jesus, what our lives should look like as a result of this faith in who he is and what he's done. And so he comes in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24, and he says, listen, this is how you used to live whenever you were alienated alienated from God and separate from God and, and, and disconnected from God. But now that God has saved you and you've come to learn about Jesus and you're now in Jesus, then here's how you should live. You should put off these old ways of life and these old ways of conducting yourselves. You should put on the new self and there should be new patterns and new new behaviors and new uh, ways of living and doing that didn't exist before. And one of those particular things that Paul references in verses 29 and 30 of Ephesians 4, coming out of that section where he says, put off the old and put on the new, he says, one of the things that should get changed for us who are on the other side of this new birth that we experience through Jesus is that the words that come out of our mouth should be different today than they were back then. He says, put on the, take off the old self and put on the new. And part of the real practical implications of that, Paul says, is with our words. And so what we want to look at this morning is this, is that if we're going to really press into gospel community, if we're really going to experience our life like a thread being woven together with these other threads to where they create this beautiful tapestry or fabric called the church, Paul says we've got to learn to make this choice of choosing, building over breaking in the way that we employ our words. We've got to begin to choose to build others as opposed to breaking them. Now listen, you can be a part of a church, you can be a member of a church, your name can be on the membership rolls of a church, you can have attended a church, being a part of a small group for a long time. But if you, if, if, if you never learn to choose building over breaking in the way that you employ your words, you're never really going to experience the fullness of gospel community. You're never going to have your life woven together with other lives around you. And in fact, if you continue to walk in the futility of your minds, as Paul says, and, the, and you continue to, to, to conduct yourself consistent with the old self, as opposed to putting on the new self, what's going to happen is not, not only are you not going to feel like you've been connected or interwoven or integrated in the life of a church, but you're going to, if you continue to, to employ your words in a way that breaks people down, you're going to isolate and distance yourself from them. And in fact, part of the reason that some of us may not feel like we've been woven together with the lives of other people is because of the, of, of the cynicism that we might have with our words or the critical spirit that we might speak with towards other people or the way that we respond in certain instances and the words that come out of our mouth push us away from others as opposed to weaving us together with them. Paul says it's pretty important what you do with your tongue, the words that you speak, And so when you think about putting off the old and putting on the new, a part of that is choosing to build rather than to break with our words. Now, we want to dig into that this morning and consider several things here in the text. The first thing that really jumps off the page to me when we think about choosing to build rather than break in the way that we employ our words, put off the old and put on the new, is this. Notice what Paul says in verse 29. He says that our words are powerful. Our words are powerful. If you look at what he says in verse 29, he assumes that our words have the power either to corrupt or construct, to build or to break, to rupture relationships or repair them. 
He says, your words are powerful. They carry weight with them. Your, our, our words are powerful. And we know this to be true from our experience whenever someone has said something to us or about us, right? And it's wounded us or it's lifted us, one of the two. But why is this so true? Why is it that our words carry weight? Listen, whenever you were a kid and I was a kid, our parents probably told us this, right? Sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never what? Hurt me or hurt you. Listen, that may sound like a nice little thing to tell your children whenever they're having an argument with their friends, but it is not true, right? That is not true. Words do penetrate. Words do pierce. Words do inflict pain and damage and harm, or they lift others up and build others up and they repair. It's one of the two. But why? Listen, the speech act that you and I engage in every time we open our mouth and words come out is a communicable characteristic that we share with God. Listen, God speaks, doesn't he? God speaks, and we who are made in his image also have the potentiality to speak and to utilize words and language in such a way that we can convey ideas and concepts and truth. So in the way that God speaks, he's hardwired into us to be able to speak as well with languages that communicate truths and concepts and realities. Listen, and if, when you think about it, humans are the only species on the face of the earth that can speak and employ language in the way that we do. When you think about it, every other uh, type of species, ducks quack, right? They don't speak. Geese honk, but they don't speak. Cows moo, pigs grunt, dogs bark, lions roar, snakes hiss, monkeys squeal, birds sing, cats meow, and goats baa. Right, But they don't speak with words in the way that we speak with words. They don't communicate with language in the way that we communicate with language. It's a communicable characteristic that we share with God. And when God speaks, for instance, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and God said, let there be light. And what happens? Light. When God speaks, things happen. Things happen. And listen, to a much lesser degree... Whenever we speak, things happen as well. We don't carry the same kind of sovereign weight with our words that can command the oceans and the forests in the way that God does. But whenever we speak in this communicable characteristic that we share with God, things happen. You know this to be true, don't you? You ask any child growing up whose parents were encouraging and affirming And they feel like, man, they, they're able to do anything they set their mind to, and they're able to do anything that God puts in their heart to do. But whenever you talk to a child who grew up in a home where they were told they were never going to amount to anything, and they would never be productive in this life, and they would never be a contributing member to society, what happens? It does damage, doesn't it? it produces pain, and it opens wounds, and it leaves scars. Listen, when God speaks, things happen, and to a lesser degree, when we speak, things happen. Our words are powerful. They carry weight with them. And Paul says, you got to put off the old and put on the new, and a part of that is the way that you employ your tongue and the words that come out of your mouth. So our words are powerful, but in addition, because our words carry this kind of weight, we've got to be wise in how we employ them. So consider what Paul says here in the text. This is what he says, essentially. He says, you got to repent. You and I have to repent from only hollow and any harmful words. 
There's got to be a repentance that takes place in putting off the old and putting on the new, where we turn away from only hollow words and any harmful words that we might speak. Now, in the text, in in verse 29, Paul says we should let no corrupting talk come from our mouths. And that word corrupting that Paul uses there, it literally means this. It means either that which is worthless or useless or hollow, or it can mean that which is foul or putrid or harmful. And I think what the Apostle Paul is saying here is this. If you and I are going to begin to employ our words in a way that is characteristic with putting off the old and putting on the new, is that we've got to turn aside from only employing hollow and useless and worthless words and also turn aside from using words that are foul or putrid or harmful. Now, what are hollow and harmful words? Let's kind of unpack that a little bit for a moment. What are hollow words, first of all? Hollow words are words that are unproductive. They're conversations that lack lack any kind of substantive content to them, right? They're they're one of the reasons that we never feel like we've gotten woven together with other people in their lives, that that we're just kind of this isolated thread hanging off the edge of of the blanket or of the hem, is because we never move beyond small talk in the context of conversations, Right? We just kind of got hollow, non-substantive content that we're communicating and delivering to other people. So for instance, and listen, small talk does have a place in relationships. Okay? Listen, when I first got here to Sabine Creek, I didn't roll up and sit down with our elders and say, hey, tell me about your relationship with your dad. Right? Just going right at it, right? Trying to dig underneath the surface. We had small talk and kind of got to know each other at a very surface level. But over the last six months, as those conversations have ratcheted up, they haven't stayed at that surface level, but they've moved beneath that. Small talk does have a place in the context of relationships. But if you never move beyond just small talk, you'll never feel like your life has gotten woven together with the lives of other people in a meaningful way. Now, there's several kinds of small talk that you might say that we've got to move on from eventually in the context. There's several different types of people. You've got like the weathermen, right? You show up in a context and maybe even in a life group and people you've known for a while. And there's always those people who, no matter what's going on in their life, all they really talk about is the weather, how pretty it is outside, how ugly it is outside, how hot it is outside, how cold it is outside, how rainy it is outside, how dry, and we're in this drought, this massive drought. And all they ever talk about is the weather. They're like a weather reporter every time that you see them. And you may have known them for six months or six years, but they never move beyond just those very very surface level, hollow conversations. Or perhaps you've got the journalist, right? Maybe they report facts to you about things that have transpired, but they never let you in to know how you feel about certain things. Right? They leave, keep this facade up. And so they may tell you things that transpired in the last week or in the last month or in the last year, but they never let you into the world of their emotions, how they feel about those things. Or maybe you've got like the sports reporter, right? Guys, this is usually you and I. Every time you show up, they're just running, listing off stats about um, football games or baseball games or their favorite teams or their players. Right? You got this guy who, could, who, who, who can, you know, tell you the back of every baseball card from the 1983 forward, okay? But he, he, he never moves into really substantive con- conversations with people. 
So all he does is report what's taking place on the field or the court. Or you get the marketing rep, and ladies, this tends to be you sometimes where you show up, and all you talk about is what you got on sale and where you got it and how much you got it for, right? And so you just talk about very surface-level kinds of conversations. And this is one of the reasons that we never really move into substantive relationships where our life gets woven together. So you never really hear things like, my marriage just really stinks right now, and we're really struggling. Or you never hear, I've been single for years, and I'm, the weight of loneliness feels crushing at times. Or you never hear, hey, listen, I'm struggling with financially right now. We've, kind of, we've been very greedy and consumer-oriented, and we've racked up all kinds of debt. And we're really trying to put, figure out which end is up at this point financially for us, and we're in a really bad place. Or you never hear, man, I'm really struggling with pornography. And my phone is littered with it. My iPad is littered with it. My computer is littered with it. You never begin to move beyond those surface level kinds of conversations. Paul says there's certain words that are just hollow. They're hollow. And they may have a place early on in a, in a, in a context of a friendship, but they never, you never should just stay there over the course of the next 5, 10, 15 years. If you do, you'll never feel like you've gotten woven together. you never feel that fabric of community. So Paul says we've got to turn away from just hollow words. But listen to what else he says. You've got to turn away from any harmful words. See, there are some words that are worthless, useless, hollow, casual, but there are some words that are just caustic and corrosive. There are some words that do damage, conversations with destructive content, and they push people away rather than pulling people in. And listen, while these hollow words may have a place early on in the context of a friendship or even at certain junctures as you talk about things that you have common interests around, harmful words have no place at any level, at any time, in any relationship. Hey, listen, there are some harmful words that destroy and erode the fabric of community like gossip. Whenever we choose to talk about people rather than to people, it begins to erode the fabric of community and threads keep, come unbound from each other. Or whenever we slander someone and we talk against them rather than for them, Things, threads get unraveled or whenever we choose malice and we set out with our words to impugn and injure people. Even at times with intention, because we know what we say and how we say it is really going to push a button for them. Or perhaps words of bitterness where there's just harsh, biting and real catty comments at times. Or even anger, whenever we explode in both words and tone. And listen, while the weatherman and the sports reporter and the journalist and the marketing rep, right, all that may just have some initial value in the context of a friendship, gossip and slander and malice and bitterness and anger has no place in the context of any relationship. Paul says you've got to put off the old and put on the new. So instead of talking about people, you talk to them. As opposed to talking against people, you talk for them. 
And you choose, rather than breaking people down with the words that come off of your tongue, you choose to lift and build them up. Listen, Thomas Akempis once said this. He said, words that edify bring joy to those that hear them. Harsh words give pain to our friends. But idle words rob us of the fruit that time would have produced. I love the way he says that. It says, harsh words bring pain, but idle words, they will strip away any fruit that time and substantive conversations would have produced in the context of a relationship where iron is sharp, supposed to be sharpening iron. And as you get beneath the surface, if you maintain an idleness, you won't see the kind of fruit as you would as if you move beyond hollow words. And harsh words will produce pain and it will cause things to unravel and you won't feel connected. In fact, I've seen people leave churches, life groups, relational networks on account of harmful, caustic, corrosive, and corrupting talk. And if we're going to be a church that is unified around the gospel to take it to our community... Paul says you got to put off the old and put on the new. Now, how do we do that? How should we employ our words? He says repent from only hollow and any harmful words. So if we're turning away from that, what are we turning toward? Listen to what Paul says in the latter part of verse 29. He says you got to leverage the power of your words to build others as opposed to break them. He says that our words should be constructive. They should be good for building up. In fact, the word that Paul uses there in the text literally means this. It means to increase the potential of someone or something with a focus on the, upon the process that's involved. So you strengthen them. You make them more able. You build them up. You edify them. In fact, what Paul says here is this, that our words should be good for building up because they are the means and the process by which God increases the kingdom potential of those around us for his glory and the good of the world. The words that we use when we speak into other people's lives and we leverage that power to build and construct and edify are the means by which God dispenses grace in their lives. So what kind of words, what kind of words should we employ to leverage the power that they possess? Paul says the words later on in the text, he says they should be fitting for the occasion. Doesn't he say that? In the text that we just read, it says they should be fitting for the occasion. So when you think about different occasions, the kind of words that we employ in those contexts should be fitting for that occasion. For instance, in disappointment or disillusionment. Anybody ever been disappointed or disillusioned in your life before? I'll raise my hand because I have. And I imagine if you keep your, your those of you who have your hands down, you're lying. Okay, which is all of you. So you're all lying this morning and you need to repent. Okay, so we've all been disappointed. We've all been disillusioned at some level in our life. And whenever we've experienced disappointment or we experience disillusionment, when things don't turn out the way that we would have hoped that they would or thought that they should, then encouragement is a kind of talk that is good for building up. And listen, we've had those people in our lives. It's a blessing, isn't it, to have those kind of folks in our lives who when we're going through real difficult seasons of disappointment or disillusionment, to have folks who would inspire us and they would breathe life into us and they would enlighten us. And at times, they would even talk sense into us. Okay? 
It's a blessing to have those kind of folks in our life. In disappointment or disillusionment, encouragement. What about in error or wandering? When you see someone taking a turn with their life, and they're heading off of a cliff, and you know that cliff is coming, even if they can't see it. In error or wandering, correction's the kind of talk that is good for building up. So we got to step into the lives of people like that, and we got to speak words that are going to correct them and help turn them, straighten them out and turn them back on the appropriate path that won't end up at the edge of the cliff. Or in the in confusion or ignorance, instruction is a kind of talk that is good for building up. There are sometimes people just aren't real clear. They're kind of confused about truth or about life. And they need people who are going to help clarify that and instruct them, help build them through words. Or perhaps in rebellion and hard-hearted sin. And I've been there before. I imagine you have as well. But in rebellion or hard-hearted sin, a rebuke is a word that's good for building. Listen, it doesn't always look like right sitting down over a cup of coffee and just affirming and encouraging and being real flowery and real just kind of, hey, you're so wonderful, right? It doesn't always look like that. Sometimes you've got to speak hard truth into people's lives to rebuke or correct. Sometimes you've got to speak clarifying words to instruct or encouraging words to help them battle against disillusionment or disappointment. Paul says you've got to put off the old and put on the new. And that involves our speech and our words. Listen, right now, some of you are sitting in the room and there's people in your life that need encouragement this week. That you, by God's grace, he set you there to be that encouraging presence for them. Because they're wrestling with some disillusionment right now. Their life has not turned out the way they thought that it would. Or they're disappointed. And God has set you there. To encourage. Some of you this week need to encourage someone. Some of you this week need to correct someone that's turning away. Turning away. Some of you this week need to rebuke someone who's in hard-hearted, unrepentant sin. Some of us this week need to instruct someone who's just either ignorant or confused. Leverage the power of your words, Paul says, to build others. And when we we do this, when we do this, Paul says, what's the result? Or what, what happens on the back end of us putting off the old, putting on the new, and leveraging the power of our words to build others? Paul says, essentially what happens then is that you and I begin to function as a conduit of grace in the lives of people. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up that you may give grace to those who hear. Paul says, you begin to function as a conduit of grace in the lives of people. When my wife and I lived over in Rowlett uh, for about 10 years, a little home there in Rowlett, um, and when Verizon was moving in to begin to offer file service uh, in our neighborhood, uh, I watched them on the backside of my fence begin to dig a big box Right? And they, built a, they dug a big hole there, and they put a box in where there were going to be all kind of cables that were going to run into that, and it has a junction box where it was going to feed service to different parts of the neighborhood and our, our, our street. But in order to get that cabling there, they ran it through conduits underground, and a conduit essentially is this. A conduit is a tube through which wires are run that carry either power or data, and they carry it from its point of origin to its point of application, from its source to its termination. 
So for instance, when I, I go out in the winter every once in a while to some of the power plant lakes out in East Texas and try and do a little fishing out there and catch a few, put them in the boat, that kind of thing. Um, sometimes the fish win, sometimes I win. I like it better when I win. Uh, but <laughs> I go out to those power plant lakes and there's these massive coal-powered power plants out there and they're producing and generating electricity that then begins to feed itself through big cables. You've seen those. Some of you have utility easements on your property where you have these big power lines running down, and ultimately it comes to a substation where it then is funneled out from there to all the neighborhoods in, the, in that particular region or that particular area. And then it, some of it's underground, like in the neighborhood that we live in now, our utilities are underground, so all that power comes through conduits underground, and it terminates at its point of application in our home. And Paul says... Whenever you leverage the power of your words to build others as opposed to breaking them, you function as a conduit of grace. Listen, the grace doesn't originate with you. The grace originates with God, and it is channeled through you to others in their lives as you encourage, as you instruct, as you rebuke, as you correct, as you use those words to build others. The grace is coming from God, and it's coming through you, and it's moving towards others. Paul says, that it may give grace to those who hear, that we might function as this conduit that would bring grace from God to the lives of people around us, and that we would be the means by which, a channel through which God builds others for the sake of his kingdom. Now, if you're going to do this, if you're going to function as this kind of conduit, there's two things that have to be, in, two things that we need to, to, to remember. First of all, it's, you're not going to be able to dispense something. Something's not going to come through you that you yourself have not received. All right, so if you're going to be this conduit of grace that's going to channel grace through you, God's going to use you as a means to channel that to other people as you instruct and correct and rebuke and encourage. Then it's, it's, it's paramount, it's absolutely necessary that you first of all receive that grace. That you receive that grace. Because listen, the words that come out of your mouth, Paul says, the problem isn't necessarily just your tongue. The rest of the Bible tells us this. The problem isn't just the, the words that you're speaking. The problem, the issue isn't the words that are coming off your tongue. The issue is what's going on in your heart. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is being questioned in chapter 15 by the Pharisees regarding his practice of his disciples because they didn't wash their hands ceremonially before they came to eat. And so Jesus responds to their question by saying this, verses 16 and following. He says, are you also still without understanding? He's talking to his disciples after he pulls them aside afterwards. Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile anyone, Jesus says. And then he goes on in verses, uh, chapter 12, or previously in chapter 12, verses 33 to 37, he says this, Either make a tree good and its fruit good, or make a tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he's speaking to the religious leaders of his day, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. 
The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Jesus says the issue whenever you participate in gossip and you speak about people rather than to people or you speak against people and slander them or you speak with an intent to impugn and malign others very maliciously or you speak in ways that are explosive and and just caustic. Jesus says the issue isn't your tongue. The issue is your heart. It's your heart. Because what's coming off of your tongue is coming out of your heart. And if your heart is corrupt, if your heart is defiled, if your heart is bent and broken, then the words that are going to come out of your mouth will be bent and broken and defiled and corrupt. Listen, back in, the, in, in ancient civilization, in ancient Romans, Uh, used to build aqueducts in order to carry water from their water sources down into their towns and cities. And some of these aqueducts would run for hundreds of miles in order to bring water, fresh water, into its point of application in in the city. Now, if you were an invading army and you knew where the water source was for that town, one of the quickest ways in order to overcome and overthrow that city was to go to its source and to pollute the water source because they could perhaps be fortified and barricaded inside the city walls for months on end under great siege. But if you polluted their water source and what was coming through it What was coming through the aqueduct into the town was polluted and toxic. Then it was going to cause great damage to the lives of individuals who were there in the town. And either the poison would kill them or make them so weak that they'd be easily able to be overthrown. And the same is true in our lives. You cannot carry fresh, clean water from a defiled, corrupt source. If your heart is defiled, if it's corrupt, then your words will be as well. Have you ever received the grace of God? See, some of us may have tried for a really long time to try and clean up our tongue, to be less angry and explosive, to be less gossipy and talking about people and be less slanderous and less malicious with our tongues. But the problem isn't with your tongue, it's with your heart. Have you ever received the grace of God and been cleansed? Have you ever looked to the cross and seen what Jesus has done and who he is and all the fullness and beauty and splendor of him laying his life down for you? You got to receive the grace of God in Jesus Christ. If you ever have any hope of leveraging the power of your words to build, Secondly, not only do we have to receive it, we've got to be ever renewed by it. You've got to be ever renewed by it. See, the grace of God not only is something we receive initially, but it's something that renews and cleanses our heart perpetually. As we re- continually repent from sin and continually turn to Christ, continue to look to him, who he is and what he's done. So that as we do commit sin, that we're looking at it, calling it what it is, and turning aside from it. Otherwise, otherwise, what happens is you kind of get this back up. Kind of like a septic system, right? That's just not been properly maintained. 
And all of a sudden, it just begins to smell kind of funky in the backyard. And that may be where some of us are right now, is that we hadn't done a good job of tending to our hearts. Turning aside from bitterness, putting away slander, putting away malice. We've received the grace of God, but we haven't actively continued to repent of sin. So all of a sudden, we just walk into a relational context and we just kind of vomit out all kinds of corrosive and corruptive talk. That causes us to feel distant and isolated and not bound together and interwoven. Is there a sin in your life today that you need to repent from? To be renewed by the grace of God and see what he's done for you at the cross. You know, Paul goes on later in that same context to say, put away in verse uh, later down in verse uh, Ephesians 4, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Put off the old, put on the new. Receive the grace of God. Be renewed by the grace of God as you come in repentance of sin. Be cleansed and then leverage the power of your words to build What if we as a church were a people who were putting off the old and putting on the new and every conversation that we were entering into was in a way to construct and build and repair as opposed to rupture and break and tear down? What might God do in us and through us? I think it would be pretty neat to see. Let's pray together. Father, we come today. We thank you for your grace, for the person and work of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Father, for those in the room this morning who are struggling with the way they've employed words in a very perhaps corrosive and caustic and corruptive way, For those who have never received the grace of God, your grace extended to us at the cross, I pray that today they would turn from sin and they would trust in Jesus. And for those who have, but they continue to struggle with their tongues because their hearts, because their hearts are backed up. I pray today they would come in repentance of sin and be renewed by your grace. They might then leverage the weight their words carry in the lives of others to build and to repair and to construct. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.